Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Pastor Josh Karstensen is continuing a Christmas series called Out of the Silence, where three people, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, were in a season of calm and peaceful silence. Then God called each one out of their silence, and they responded with, Not my will be done, but yours. How is God calling you out of a comfortable silence? After the message, you're invited to find 10 minutes to get alone and be with God without distraction. In the silence and solitude, ask God to speak and let your soul rest from the busyness of life around you. Now, here's today's teaching. Over Thanksgiving, my wife and I, had, we had the opportunity to go down to Northern California. Um, our family lives a uh, really cool area. I don't know if you've ever been there. Actually, it's terrible. You should never go there. Uh, but in between Eureka and Redding, uh, the Trinities, uh, our family lives out there. The Trinity Alps is a super cool area. Uh, and I love exploring that place. It's, it's on a river. There's mountains. There's woods. Uh, it's incredibly fun. And I had uh, the fun joy of bringing my dirt bike there. And so uh, one of the afternoons, or I guess mornings, whatever, uh, I took, took off for a long dirt bike ride by myself. I was out for a couple hours out in the woods, and, you know, I leave from the cabin and head up, and, you, you know, you go through these old paved uh, forest service roads until you hit dirt, and then you're cruising on dirt for a while. And uh, ultimately, my, my favorite trails had been destroyed, which is really frustrating if you like dirt bike riding. And you know, I had some sweet single track, nice trails, which were all just bulldozed this last summer because apparently fires are a thing in Northern California, trying to fire lines. Uh, and, you know, it seems a little rude to me, but I guess, you know, I'll have to deal with that. But um, so it was exploring uh, for a while. I was out for a couple hours and came across three different abandoned uh, trailers with people, which is always like a little bit eerie. You ever been to a place where someone was living out in the woods and kind of like, is anyone still here? This feels empty. Um, but didn't find anything too weird. And well, uh, eventually came to my uh, favorite lookout spot, which is kind of at the top of everything and, and get to the top and take off my helmet, take out my earplugs, and take off my goggles, and, and just sit there in silence for a while, um, overlooking, you know, a, a bunch of mountains and trees and a lot of burned area as well. Um, but ultimately got to sit there in a lot of silence. And uh, on the way up, there's not a lot of silence. I have a 29-year-old dirt bike, which is really loud. It's like, which is really fun, but really loud. Um, the cabin life is pretty loud. We've got three kids, four adults, a uh, two-year-old dog and a six-month-old dog. And there's just not a lot of, like, silence and, and calmness in the house. So I sat up there for a while just in kind of this serene, beautiful silence. And then I proceeded to my, one of my favorite parts of the ride, and that's the way back. And on the way back, I, I put my helmet on, I put my goggles on, I left my earplugs out, and I kicked my bike into neutral, and I just coast. And you just go. And, and I don't have to turn my bike on. Uh, there's a few different spots on the dirt where I have to to keep going. But then I hit the forest service or I hit the paved part, and it's just miles and miles of straight downhill. And if you've ever had the opportunity to sit on something that's, I don't know, two, 300 pounds with no engine noise, just cruising 30, 40 miles an hour, it is the sweetest feeling of freedom that you will have. It's just the, the wind, it's the And I just have this absolute, utter, beautiful feeling of silence, of calm, of peace, of tranquility, of just like this amazing euphoric silence. Right? Sometimes silence is amazing. Sometimes we love silence, right? Sometimes silence uh, ta- is like this effortless, 
peaceful calm that we love. And, and some of us, when we think about our lives, we really are in a season, in a lot of ways, of silence, where things are really good and they feel somewhat effortless. Right? We, it, it seems like maybe our, our jobs are going really, really well and we're just super thankful or our kids are, are doing well and it's like, man, this feels so good. The, the calm is here. Maybe there's three people in the room who know what I'm talking about. Right? We, we talk about silence in terms of uh, this peace and some of us really feel like this, but there are also times where God calls us out of this life of silence. Where God's not just calling us to a place of peaceful, calm, beauty. And he's saying, you know what, maybe I have something a little bit more for you. Maybe I have a challenge for you. And maybe we are right there this morning where God might be calling some of us out of ease, out of comfort, out of calm to something a little bit bigger. Last week we talked about how sometimes silence is painful. Right? And we talked about this, this couple who for years had wanted children, up until their 60s, 70s, or 80s, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And just the pain of not having what they longed for, the pain of the silence from God as they, they went throughout their life not hearing the cries of a baby at night, not hearing the, the, the laughter of kids in the backyard on the trampoline, jumping with the neighborhood kids when you get home from work, or, or not hearing the 11 p.m. conversations from your teenagers when you're trying to go to bed. That silence... It's painful when you want something. Or we looked at the silence of this nation longing for God to do something in this country that he promised he would do and for 400 years didn't seem to do much. And so there's a lot of painful silence. And we talked about the silences in our lives that are painful. Right? We talked about the silence of you know, maybe a friend uh, or a family member not being in the type of relationship that we want right now. We talked about the silence of maybe someone passing away or the silence of not getting the job or the promotion or whatever it may be in your life where you're longing for something and it's just eerily silent. We talked about how that is incredibly painful, but we said last week that God breaks through silence, right? We saw this with Zachariah and Elizabeth where God says, okay, I'm going to give you a son when it was not thought to be possible, biologically impossible. God says, no, I have something for you. I break through silence. And where God ultimately says, I'm going to send you a guy. His name is going to be John, and he will be like Elijah. He will come in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will be a pre-runner, a forerunner to my return. Right? And, and how that breaks silence. And we talked last week, and we said, do you believe that God can break through the silence? Today we ask something the opposite. Is God calling you out of silence, out of comfort, out of calm? out of ease. As we open up our Bibles today, we're going to look at three different people who God called out of that comfortable silence, out of a silence that things were going pretty well, that you could kind of uh, foresee and predict what the next 20, 30, 50 years might look like, and, and things were cruising, and God said, hold up, time out. I've got something very, very different for you. It will be challenging. It will be difficult, but in the end, it will be worth it. To see these three people, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. So we're going to uh, pick up where we left off. We're going to pick up in verse 26. I'm going to ask that we would stand. We're going to read this. When I'm done, I, I say the phrase, this is the word of the Lord. And we respond with thanks be to God. So let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to read Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start with the first person that we see where God breaks this absolute beautiful silence with some amazing news, but some really challenging news. Here we go, starting in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grab a seat. The first person that we see that was called out of a a life of relative quietness, a a life of relative silence, a life of comfort, a a little bit of a life of ease, is this woman that we know as Mary. Uh, We we really don't know a lot about Mary uh, pre-Jesus. We know a little bit. We know that she was uh, probably a young teenager. Think about age 14. Any 14-year-olds in here? Any 14? Yeah, we got a couple of them. Yep, so I mean, that's young. That's very young. Um, We know that she is from this place called Nazareth, which was a really small town. Think uh, less than a thousand people. Uh, this was not a town that's mentioned in the Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's kind of an obscure city. Um, it's, a, it's a town that's really relatively small, uh, really kind of a know-nothing town. Archaeologists have discovered that there's really only one well in that area, so they assume uh, at that point that it couldn't have maintained much more than about a thousand people. And we also know that she would have been betrothed to this young man named Joseph, as the text says. And uh, betrothal uh, is like what we would call engagement. Um, Her wedding, her marriage would have been arranged for years. And this would have been the year before she was actually married. Uh, The year that we talked about in our study of John, kind of where Jesus does his first miracle, where they're waiting. And it's the man's job and it's his responsibility to, to get a house procured for them, to probably build something on their family's land for him to secure a solid job, for him to do all the details of the wedding, make sure everything's taken care of, and and ultimately to show to the family, to show to the community that he is a worthy husband, that he can take care of this young woman, Mary. From what we know of Mary, it's not hard to imagine how the rest of her life plays out, right? She's a a 14-year-old in a small village in the middle of nowhere, and, and, you know, you can think, okay, well, the next 20, 30, 40 years, you know, you're going to have some kids, and and your husband's going to be a carpenter because his dad was a carpenter, and his dad was a carpenter before him, and and just kind of life just plays out in nice little Nazareth, and everything just kind of takes care of itself, and in calm silence, she's just excited and You'd imagine she's anticipating this season of life where she will be married and kids will be um, next. And then in the middle of this, what I'm going to consider calm silence, an angel comes to her and breaks the silence and invites her and tells her life's going to be very different moving forward. He says, you are favored by God and you're going to have a son and it's not going to be through Joseph. All right, at this point, like things dramatically change, right? So here she is, she's she's getting ready to be married and and now an angel tells her, you're going to have a kid 
but it's not going to be through this person that, you th- that you're going to get married to. And so, man, for the rest of her life now, everything has, has dramatically changed in terms of her perception of how she is received from other people. Right? We see this throughout Scripture as many people um, talk uh, about her in a certain way, assuming certain things about her. Right? What happens to that nice, quiet, peaceful, comfortable life? If it wasn't enough that she's about to have a child that's not from her fiancé, this child's going to be very different from anyone else. We read that his name shall be called Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Man, you want to talk about shattering any calm silence. All right, let's just start with the name. His name will be Jesus. You ever stop and wonder, why the name Jesus? It's kind of an interesting question. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that, but this last week, I was like, okay, well, why the name Jesus? It was a pretty common name back then, apparently. But you look at some of the roots of where this name comes from, and ultimately, it's the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. I'd like to think Joshua is a solid name. Uh, ultimately, it's, it has its roots in the second book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, right? That's the first time that we meet someone uh, with the name of Joshua. He's the predecessor to Moses. Uh, if you remember back in slavery in Egypt, where God's people were enslaved for 400 years, he primarily uses this man Moses to bring them out of freedom. But Moses goes through a season of doubt, where ultimately he says, I don't know if God can deliver on all the promises that he made for me. And so he is not able to take the people to this land that God promised them. And so he has to pass the baton to another young man by the name of Joshua, who's the one who ultimately leads the people to freedom. So here's this guy, Joshua, born in slavery in Egypt, who becomes the man who takes the baton from Moses and leads a people to freedom. But when we first are introduced to Joshua, that's not his actual name. Does anyone know the name of Joshua pre-Joshua? His name was Hoshea, H-O-S-H-E-A. And as Moses is passing the baton to Hoshea, uh, where he will now take the people to this promised land, he takes the name Hoshea, which means he saves, Uh, And he combines it with the name Jehovah, meaning God. And so he takes those two words, he combines them together, and he comes up with the name Joshua, meaning God is the one who saves. And ultimately, that's where Jesus gets his name. Again, the Hebrew form of the Greek name, or the Greek name of the Hebrew, the Greek form of the Hebrew name, Jesus. So ultimately, Jesus has this name that means God will save Really a beautiful picture of the one who takes us from slavery to freedom, just like Joshua did. And not only does he have the name that is going to kind of signify what's going to come, but the angel makes it very clear this will be the son of the Most High. He will have a kingdom that will never end. And you want to talk about the the transformation that's going to happen in her life because of this, what she is about to witness. She is about to witness unbelievable pain as she's going to not only bear the responsibility of having a child who's the son of God, but then have the responsibility of watching your son go under the intense persecution that he goes under and ultimately watch your son be killed. Your life will be anything but calm. And how does she respond? See this in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is her saying, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. This is a phrase that we're going to come back to in a minute. She may have had her life plan. It may have been this simple, beautiful, quiet, nice, seemingly peaceful plan. And God says, nope, I'm interrupting all of that. I've got something a lot different in store for you. You will be the mother of the Most High. 
Once again, I love how Luke tells Mary's side of the story. If you read all the other gospel writers, no one else says anything about Mary. But Luke, writing to those who are not Hebrew, he recognizes the rest of the world's desire to understand what would it have been like to be Mary receiving this news. And he gives us this beautiful insight. Ultimately, I think this is just a God, God kind of showing his hand, saying, hey, I care for those of you who don't have all the background that everyone else has. And I, I'm going to show you my heart for Mary. And I'm going to kind of show you this beautiful interaction that we have here. But the other gospel writers, they're more dialed into to Joseph, primarily Matthew. Matthew's writing to Hebrews, and as a Hebrew, uh, all the Hebrews would have known Deuteronomy 22. They would have known what the law required of them, uh, particularly of Mary's dad and the village men, if his daughter was found to be pregnant before she was married, right? And so Matthew makes it very clear um, that he is going to share, hey, this is what Joseph was going through as well. And so we're going to pick it up here in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, as we meet Joseph, person number two, who God breaks his silence. Matthew, 18, Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Again, having said nothing about Mary, he dials in on Joseph. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And again, everything's going fairly well for Joseph at this point. He's excited. He's finally going to get married. He's spending his whole year planning these things. He's got the wedding venue picked out. He's got the preacher. He's got the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, right? The caterers uh, in place. He's got the DJ. You know, everything's ready. He's procured the job. The house is all set up. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and she's pregnant. It says he finds that out first. Right? And, and he's a noble man, and he knows that Jewish law requires, requires that she be stoned from her dad and the other village men. But he's a noble man. He says, hey, I, I love this woman, and I'm just going to do this quietly so that no one needs to find out, and um, hopefully she can be spared. But then an angel visits him and says, hey, I got something bigger than your quiet, calm, peaceful, downhill, cruising life. It's going to be challenging. You're going to be mocked the rest of your life. People will speak ill of your wife. They'll speak ill of you, and they'll wonder about you forever. But I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to give you this son. His name's going to be Jesus, and he will bear the sins of the world. Now, then imagine the rest of Joseph's life as it plays out. Right? For one, he's never vindicated like Mary is. Because you think about Mary, and you think about her life, and you think about she goes through her whole life with all this weight and responsibility of people speaking ill of her. But ultimately, I believe that she gets vindicated at the point where she meets her risen son. Right? Because at that point, she's finally able to say, look, like I, I knew it. I'm not crazy. Look, Joseph doesn't get that opportunity. 
Right? History tells us that he wasn't there at the cross, which ultimately means most likely he died before all this happens. He doesn't get to meet his, his post-resurrected son. And so he has to go to the grave still with some sort of hope holding on to God. You said I would have a son and this son would take on the sins of the world, but he doesn't get to see it like Mary sees it. You got to believe that there's still some part of doubt in his mind somewhere that's going, man, God, I know you made this promise. Is it true? But ultimately, God gives him this hope and this promise here with this angel visiting him saying, hey, I know that you've got a life, uh, kind of everything planned ahead of you. And it may feel really good right now. And you've got your kind of calm little business life in Nazareth going, but man, I've got something so much bigger for you. And how does he respond? He responds very much like Mary. We see this in verse 24. It says this. He said, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Right? Remember what Mary says, right? Ultimately, not my will, but yours, right? Behold, I am your servant. Here's Joseph. This is anything but what I had envisioned, but not my will, but yours. Now to the third person in this story, and ultimately this is the child, right? This is Jesus, because we're not gathering today because Mary was obedient, Right? We're not gathering today because Mary had her calm life interrupted. We're not gathering today with a few billion people around the world because Joseph had a nice little life plan for him and God interrupted it. We're ultimately gathering because Jesus' life was radically interrupted. Right? You want to talk about a nice, calm life that's profoundly interrupted. This is the Son of Man. Listen to these words from Paul in Galatians 4 and Philippians 2. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Right? Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You want to talk about living in that calm, downhill, peaceful serenity. That's the Godhead, right? That's Father, Son, Spirit, before anything is created, living in perfect relationship with one another. This is perfect peace. This is perfect love. This is perfect silence and calm. And in the midst of that silence, Jesus says, not my will be done, but yours, Father. And ultimately comes to earth. Right? He gets to the spot, you know, the spot that we keep coming back to, not my will, but yours, where he says, God, I don't want to go to the cross. That's the, that's the human side in me. I don't want to suffer for the sins of the world. I don't want to take on humanity, but not my will but yours be done. And because Jesus does this, ultimately we get what Paul says, we get adoption as sons because we are redeemed as those who were under the law. All right, so where does that leave us this morning? Right, ultimately, as we, as we wrap it up, we've got to think through, like, well, where is our lives? It, again, like, maybe more of us identify with last week where, you know, we're in painful silence and we want God to break through, but maybe we're in this place where life is going pretty good. Right, the job's good enough, the family's good enough, our hobbies are good enough, our vacations are good enough, and maybe God's saying, hey, I want to interrupt in the middle of this, and I've got something for you. And it may totally destroy your plans of a nice, peaceful, serene next 20, 30, 40 years of your life, but I want to do it. So what does this look like in your life? 
Right? In my life, there's a few different things where God has kind of broken through in places that felt peaceful. Uh, my, my family and I, in, over the last six years, we've had uh, different international students living in our home. Um, pretty much consistently straight for six years, we've had two different students. We've had, I don't know, maybe over 20 students living with us, um, primarily from China. Uh, we've had some from Bangladesh, some from Taiwan. Uh, but for the first time in six years in August, uh, we didn't have any students. Uh, for whatever reason, kind of pandemic and not as many students around. And, and so we went August, September, October without anyone. And, and my wife and I were you know, kind of talking to each other, man, this, this is actually really, like, really peaceful in our home. Like, we don't all have to share one bathroom anymore. Like our family shares one and our students have another one. And man, this is like really nice. Like when family visits, we have extra rooms in our house. And we were talking about, like, man, should we, should we just continue with this, like, nice kind of calmer, like, home situation? My wife says to me, man, um, calm is nice, but we don't want calm. Like, we want obedience. And what an opportunity we have with students living with us, because almost every meal, at some point, we have a non-Christian at our table. And we have an opportunity to say, hey, this is what life as a follower of Jesus kind of looks like. And it's one of the rare opportunities that I think that we have in our life to kind of break through what would be calm and say, Jesus, we're willing to do something. And so... Man, we, we kind of re-upped it and said, Lord, we're willing. If you want, we're willing. Right? Where is that in your life? Maybe it's you stepping up to serve in a unique way right now. Right? Where, again, maybe school is, you know, it's going well, and you feel like your, your plate is just about perfect. And God might be saying, hey, I've got something a little bit more for you. Right? Maybe it's breaking the calmness through conversation with someone. Right, conversation where, you know, like no one wants to rock the boat too much because we're kind of coming from uh, different ideologies of how we see the world, but maybe breaking silence is God saying, hey, I, I want you to speak up here. Right, here's a big one um, in how to break silence. Um, a lot of us this last term uh, went through this book in our community groups, How to Reach the West Again. And in it, Timothy Keller talks about a couple different um, worldviews as far as how Christians need to interact with the world right now. He talks about kind of five or four different core beliefs that we have to hold on to, and two of them are more comfortable for most of us, right? Because he talks about these, these four different beliefs that if you kind of have a, a left-leaning ideology, you'll hold on to two, and if you have kind of a right-leaning ideology, you'll hold on to these other two. And maybe breaking the silence is an embrace of all four of these. And so he talks about the first two. Right? And he says, man, if you're kind of a left-leaning ideology person, like to be a Christian is to be radically committed to racial equality. Right? To be radically committed to justice for the poor and oppressed. And, and those who lean that way are like, yes, if we're Christians, we need to do this. Jesus is calling us to these things. But then also to be a Christian, not only do we need to lead to these two things, but we have to lean on these other two things that he talks about. And these who lean to the right kind of get excited about these things. And this is, you know, a radical commitment to being pro-life. Or a radical commitment to one husband, one wife, monogamous relationship in a Christian sexual ethic. And so to be a Christian is to hold on to all four of these things. But I think in some of our silence, some of us like to lean one way or the other, and we don't want to go too far on the other side. And maybe to break that comfortable silence, maybe we need to try to figure out how we have all four of those in our lives and not just get excited about two of those. Where is God asking you to break up the silence in your life? Ultimately, to say the words, God, not my will, but yours be done. Christmas is the season, it's a reminder that every single time we gather for Christmas, the birth of Jesus is him saying, not my will be done, but yours. 
We're going to end with a, a moment of communion. So I'm going to ask the band, would you come on up here? And, and this little, little juice and cracker in your seat, ultimately this is a simple reminder of Jesus coming to earth, giving his life for us, saying, not my will, but yours be done, Jesus. The band is going to play um, a little bit of music before they get into the song. And during that time, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to take that on your own time. And I want you to say, as you are taking this, Jesus, thank you for saying, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. And then as we're kind of singing this last song, I just want you to put yourself before the Lord. God, where are you asking me to break through the silence, to break through the comfort, to break through the nice, downhill, easy section of my life and call me to something bigger? Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you broke through silence. And Jesus, I thank you that you call us out of silence too, where things are easy, where they're comfortable, where they're calm. And you call us to different things because we're different people. But ultimately, you call us to follow in your example. Where Jesus, you said, not my will, but yours. And because that you gave us eternal life, you gave us life with you. Jesus, I pray that we would um, examine our lives, that we'd examine the places um, where you're calling us to be obedient to you. Jesus, I I thank you for these next few minutes where we're just going to take a moment in in a little bit of quietness. We're going to reflect on your life for us, and we're going to say thank you for saying, not my will, but yours be done. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage, including resources like our application questions. Thanks again for listening.